is the Enter Sadman podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. So welcome to episode 10 of the Enter Sad Men podcast. Our journey to find the definitive list of hard rock and heavy metal albums that you should own. With, uh, I'm Mark. With me, as usual, are Steve and Richard. Good evening, lads. Hello, hello. Good evening. So last week, we had an interesting discussion about uh, Thin Lizzy's Thunder and Lightning, accepts balls to the wall, and probably the most interesting conversation about Ingrid J. Malmsteen's Rising Force and their album Odyssey. This week, what are we doing this week, boys? Well, we're continuing our exploration, aren't we? And taking it to an extreme. So we've chosen this week to pick three albums that none of us or each of us had never heard before. Uh, usually that mostly applies to me, but this week it applies to all three of us, which is uh, w- which is nice. We had a look through various top hundreds and five hundreds and uh, picked an album that perhaps we should have known more about, but didn't. Certainly the album I picked, which we'll come on to in a minute, I knew of the band, I didn't know really of the album, and I hadn't heard a track before I chose it. Yeah, it's uh, well. Certainly, it's been a thoroughly interesting week. But let's let's come back to that, Steve. <laughs> how have you fared? Well, it, well, it's been very interesting. It's um, it's a hugely original idea because normally with our album, I was immediately concerned when I saw what you had chosen. I just thought, bloody hell, this is going to end badly. But you know, I, I I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm really, really looking forward to the conversation because. Um, you know, these, 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 are, these are three very, very different albums. Okay, so um, let's put everyone out of their misery and tell them what we've chosen. Uh, I looked through and I thought, I, I've, I've got to go for something that I really, A, didn't know, and B, would not have chosen to listen to, given a free choice. So I went for 1992's Blues for the Red Sun by Caius. Yeah, and, and I chose an album uh, recorded. And Steve, who's going to kick off this evening because he travelled back in time. Yeah, to... I, I, I'm distance we're kicking this one off, aren't I? I'm, I'm in a different time zone. <laughs> I mean, if Richard, if Richard, you're saying that you uh, you're slightly apologetic for not having uh, latched on to Tool earlier, then I'm utterly shamefaced at not having paid any attention in my musical upbringing. Um, to Jethro Tull, so who were just merely merely a weirdo and a flute. That's all I thought Jethro Tull were for all those years. Um, and it, to be fair, that may still be the case. But at least I put some flesh on the on the fluty bones now, and um, I'm taking um, a little view of Aqualung, their 1971. I think many people regard as their best album. But anyway, it's the, it's the one I've chosen and I'm happy to have chosen it. So, um, okay. Well, before we get stuck into that, let's have a quick snapshot of what lies ahead. I came upon Mother Goose So I turned her loose She was screaming
First up, by a few millennia prior to uh, our two albums, is Steve and Jethro Tull's super famous Aquila. Opening album sleeve notes. So this is their fourth album. And I, I, I was some people say this is a concept album, but then what self-respecting prog album of the early 70s wasn't a concept. Anderson always said it wasn't. I think concept is a bit of a cheap shot because that means you can get away with shit. You know, you can put shite tracks on a concept album. It's like, always oh, a concept album. You know, shite is shite, however you want to dress it up. And I don't think it was. And he always said it wasn't. And my and I was put off by the fact that Jethro Tull were originally a kind of blues jazz ensemble when they were formed in 67. And that didn't interest me. But he said that by this stage, and it's only four years later, they were a genuine full-on progressive rock band. And so that really intrigued me. And as soon as I, and within very little time, you know, the first track, six minutes long, it's got about six movements to it. You knew you were in prog rock territory. I've had such, such fun listening to this album. And, and I'd love to know, you know, as an overall, can you match the fun I've had this week and join us? Mark, you will have done, surely, because you like Jethro Tull, don't you? Oh, if you're talking about fun with, with Jethro Tull, I absolutely adore Jethro Tull, yeah. And uh, Aqualung is not my favourite album of theirs. I think somewhat sacrilegiously, my favourite album is Crest of a Knave, which famously took the Grammy from Metallica's Black album uh, in 1990. Um, so I'm already, just in those few short words, I'm a pariah uh, in the world of podcast at the moment. It's um, It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to Aquaman because I haven't listened to it front to back in, well, at least five years. And I, and I think it's probably longer than that. So, yeah, I had great fun listening to Jethro Tull this week. Great fun. And Richard, did, did you get the same sense of pleasure that um, we got out of this, this legendary old slab of vinyl? I'm getting there. A bit like you, Steve. I, I, I never particularly got or warmed to Mr. Anderson. And so the... The challenge, my personal challenge this last week has been getting around my own perceptions and getting to the music. So, so I think, yeah, this is why I said I, I probably need another week. Um, I still I still do have problems with um, overindulgent flute playing, um, I must say. Um but actually, listening to the, um, the, the the album as a whole, um, there are some tracks that I've, I've really warmed to. C- can we just rewind like fifteen <laughs> seconds? You have a problem with overindulgent flute playing, yeah? Not apparently thirty six percent of an album being guitar solos. Um, overindulgent guitar solos. <laughs> <laughs> Extraordinarily overindulgent guitar solos. <laughs> no, no, because I, I think because um, this is guitar-based music. That's exactly what I was going to say. I never thought I never thought I'd be on a podcast where we were worried about the overindulgence of the flute soloists, but um, you know, it's come to that. We, we, we've reached that band, 
Um, and it is interesting as, as a footnote, and I'm, I kind of totted them up vaguely in my head. There are more flute solos than guitar solos on this album. How many rock albums can say that? Isn't that priceless? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So listen, before we get into it, I, there's just a couple of things. Let's talk about the band. So John Evan or John Evans, um, he, he seems to go with or without the S, depending on where you read it. He's back on keyboards. He'd been with um, Anderson from the start um, before they formed Tull in 69. And I'd always been told there was a place for him in the band. He went away, came back. So that was fine. Martin Barr on guitar, who is a genius and um I'm sure you know, we'll come to that. Um, Clive Bunker on drums. And then, best of all, Jeffrey Hammond on bass, or Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, depending on um, how you want to read his name. Sometimes he jokingly refers to himself as Jeffrey Hammond Hammond because both his parents had the same name, and his mother swore that she was going to keep her maiden name even when she got married. So that was the joke. So he calls himself Jeffrey Hammond. It's so English. It's so twee. It's just so brilliantly of a time. I love these descriptions of um, of Ian Anderson, who we know is just a complete nutjob. But Wikipedia calls him a multi-instrumentalist who, in addition to flutes, plays keyboards, bass, guitar, bazooki, balalaika, saxophone, harmonica, and a variety of whistles, which I just think is priceless. And interestingly, he didn't actually take up the flute. This is this is actually very interesting. He didn't take up the flute till late, deep into his teens. He'd, he'd bigged himself up as a guitarist. That's what he wanted to play. Realised he couldn't cut it with the pages of this world. Knocked it on the head, took up the flute. So while we take the piss out of the, you know, the amount of flute ship that goes on in this album, he does do it pretty well for a bloke who's taken to it quite late in, in his, you know, relatively late in life. You know, he didn't start playing the flute from the age of three or anything. So, But anyway, I reckon we should play the album. What do you say? So the album kicks off with the title track, Aqualung, um, that hugely distinctive six-note guitar intro from uh, from Martin Barr to get it started and that equally distinctive opening lyric line which I'm sure you wouldn't get away with these days sitting on a park bench eyeing little girls with bad intent it's just priceless he really was a, a, a folk teller he was a storyteller um, and this is a story a story based apparently on his wife then wife Jenny was a photographer was going out taking pictures of homeless people Came back, realised there was nothing in the camera, had to get the words down. She actually wrote the words um, <clears throat> to this song based on what she'd seen when she was out taking pictures. Um, and then we've got this incredible song that comes from it, Aquila. Um, it's, uh, it's inevitably intricate, um, full of different movements, six movements. And, you know, anything that runs for six minutes or so on a prog album, it's going to have multiple different parts. And this is certainly one of them, all driven along by... The fantastic bass playing um, of Jeffrey Hammond, Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, and there's a there's a there's a there's a stunning bar solo to come at the end. And there's a lovely story about it. and he saw Jimmy Page wander past the window, and he was trying to wave at him, but he knew if he waved and stopped playing, his chance of the solo being on the track would have gone, and it'd be replaced by another bloody flute solo. So he had to concentrate and focus to get it right, and he did. And um, it's a wonderful sprawling epic of a track it's a great way to kick off the album mark isn't it i love this track i absolutely adore this track it's it's so (laughs) it's really interesting you say that because i can't first time i heard this i thought aqualung was autobiographical (laughs) (laughs) and and maybe it is yeah maybe so yeah and anyway, so, so Aqualung moves then into 
a track which is um, every Iron Maiden fan will know, of course. Cross-Eyed Mary. I can't even picture the Iron Maiden version because it was a B-side of something, wasn't it, Mark? Wasn't it on the Trooper or something? Yeah, B-side of the Trooper. This to me is just kind of, um, again, it's a, it is a, it's a lovely song, but it's almost like um, Aqualung Part 2. It, it's, it's just a sort of sequel to it and not quite as good would be my thought. I don't know. What, did, did... That may be why... And I think because of the way in which these tracks transition from one to the other, they do feel almost like a suite, a symphony, don't they? Yeah. And maybe that's that's where this notion that Aqualung is a concept album originates from. I mean, I think it's an inter- interesting subject matter, given that it's about a 12-year-old prostitute. But, you know, I don't think you get away with that in 2020. Well, he's, he's, he's trodden a few taboos straight away in the first two tracks, isn't he? Everything was fair game. And I think that's brilliant. It's all observation, isn't it? It's, um, of course you wouldn't these days, no. It wasn't it Golden Meyer who said, you can't tear down the monuments of yesterday just because they don't fit with today. So Yeah, yeah. yeah we can understand just uh, why people jump to the conclusion of concept album, can't you? Because once you've got the, these two strongly related tracks and everyone's going to start to read, assume that and read that into all of the tracks of certainly on the rest of of this side it's also the nature of storytelling isn't it that very few of the tracks i mean what is it 200 and nearly 300 tracks that we've listened to for the podcast now how many of them have actually told stories you know from end you know a narrative that has a beginning a middle and an end and isn't just about you know rock and roll or falling in love and you almost get a bit you feel compelled to get a bit sneery well don't you what a daft thing to do but it really isn't is it it's of a time and it was a it's how he wanted to portray the album, you know, even giving each side a, a name and, um, you know, yeah. two distinct themes going on there. He didn't want to call it a concept album, but yeah, you absolutely get the vibe that it's very conceptual in that sense. So, of course, Cross-Eyed Mary gives way to Cheap Day Return, which um very short interlude written apparently as Ian Anderson was coming back from visiting his sick father. Um, it's It's... Perfectly lovely. And that, of course, then leads into Mother Goose. Which is beyond adorable. I've been, I've been, I'll tell you what, boys, I've been umming and I don't, I've given a few tens this week and I've been umming and ahhing over this track all week. And the only reason I haven't is because I've just not played it. I've played it for a week and that doesn't do it justice. But, 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 but on a spectacular scale, I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's got that lovely, flowing that kind of guitar and flute intro it's very well it's seriously folky almost elizabethan it's almost kind of medieval feel to it and um it's an acoustic number but there's a brilliant crank up and a and to get to the crank up there's a little bit of discreet they bring in the bass drum clive bunker's bass drum it's just so discreetly done but it's it's getting it up a level then there's a little acoustic bridge before bar cracks into a few big electric chords towards the end and it's um again a really addictive rhythm section all the way through i just think is a fantastic track it's a brilliantly brilliant constructed track do you agree i absolutely do i absolutely do and this is so typically jethro tull as well this is like yeah aqualung is a fantastic track but actually on this album this is their signature track i think um this is the one where you listen to it and yeah that is exactly what they were about not not just in 1971, but also all the way down through Crest of a Nave, Rock Island, um, yeah, and the later albums, Catfish Rising. Um, 
yeah, this is this is kind of their sound. This this is the definitive sound, I think, of Jethro and not, Tull. And, and notwithstanding the lyrics as well, the lyrics are just priceless, aren't they? I quote, and a bearded lady said to me, if you start your raving and you're misbehaving, you'll be sorry. Then the chicken fancier came to play with his long red beard and his sister's weird. She drives a lorry. <laughs> it's just priceless. It's about life on Hampstead Heath, apparently. I've no idea. I've no idea. It's just sensational. <laughs> when that guitar, when that guitar kicks in, and he does it two or three times. It is just such a good folk rock track. So solid. Yeah, and th- this stopped me in my track. I, I remember exactly where I was when I first listened to this this time around. Um, I was in the middle of a field. I, 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 I couldn't even carry on walking. I had to stop and listen to it properly. I must have looked like a right twat. <laughs> you know, stood in the middle, stood in the middle of a of a field with headphones on, doing absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, bizarre, but um, it demands your attention. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Richard, are, are you sharing our our unfettered enthusiasm? I think it's getting deja vu about that. This was a real grower for me, and has become my favourite track. I think one, it's beautifully balanced, wonderfully arranged. And there's not too much, if any, flute on it. And the other thing is, his singing is understated. One of the other things that 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 put up the barriers, which I've been trying to get round with Mr. Anderson, is at times his over theatrics. Now, I mean, I, at this point, I expect Steve to jump in and say, "Well, what the fuck about Ronnie James Dio then, Napthine?" Um, anyway, I, I think yeah, back to Mother Goose. I love it. He's got it's very understated his vocal throughout, um, and I think it really, really works. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm really warm to that track. Yeah, so that's so obviously Mother Goose is sandwiched between two relatively short tracks as well, isn't it? Which is, you know, uh, what I suppose adds to the balance of the album. The, the lyrics on Wondering Aloud as a short love song, and again, a story. You know, wondering aloud, but the years treat us well as she floats in the kitchen. I'm tasting the smell of toasters, the butter runs, and then she comes, spilling crumbs on the bed, and I shake my head. Uh, so, yeah, really just fantastic storytelling. Did you think Simon and Garfunkel? Because I did when I first Yeah, that kind of, isn't it? Yeah, really ob- observational. Okay, so side one signs off with, um, well, it's a strange beast. Up to me, and it's it starts strange. You, you feel you're going stranger. It starts off with um, a kind of bit of crazed laughter. It's almost kind of nut house stuff, and it and it never quite makes sense after that, which is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. I think Anderson's vocals in this track. You were talking earlier about um, well, we we love the fact that he is the storyteller, but we hear a lot more of him of the rock singer in him in this voice in this track which is a great thing to hear yeah the whole track's a bit more trucky a bit more rocky never quite makes sense plenty of medieval in it plenty of big guitar it's it's a, it's a really good number it's a great way to sign off side one yeah it's 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 got a little bit of everything isn't it it's it's a bit meandering but i love the way that this band always manages to kind of bring it back home what they go off wandering down little avenues and alleyways, but it always comes back, and I think that's that's one of the strengths of certainly of this album, but also of the band as a whole. It's uh, I, I, my overall impression with this track was they had fun making it. You know, there's a lot, la- there's laughter, there's a sort of laughter throughout. 
I'm presuming this was what well, would have been those days an all recorded live. And so to side two, which is called My God. And indeed, the opening track is called My God. Side two of Aqualung, heavier, I think, than side one. And this is where he gets into a real story about religion and his kind of disdain for the sort of God-fearingness of it all. He, he doesn't begin, make any attempt to conceal his contempt for faith or certain elements of it. But subject matter aside, My God, well, My God, and it's a great track. Beautiful acoustic guitar intro. Then the piano kicks in. We haven't barely mentioned um, John Evan on, on keyboards. It's just, again, because it's just so beautifully part of the band. It's, it's the mix. It's just so great. Kicks in with a lovely bit of piano. And then Anderson's mournful but disdainful vocals. And then it, you know, and then it fires up later. Brilliant, brilliant way to start side two. They set their stall out here, or he sets his stall out here, doesn't he? You, you're never in much doubt what he feels about the subject matter. You know, he's the god of nothing. Slightly controversial view. <laughs> yeah, and but it's easy, but it's easy to do it with a with a with a hobnail boot and no style or finesse whatsoever. He doesn't, does he? He he does it through the through the medium of being a, a, a folk storyteller, and therefore he can do it beautifully. And you're with him on the ride, aren't you? At the end of this, even even the most God fearing thing. Well, yeah, that religion is a load of old shit, isn't it? This is anti-religion, isn't it? This isn't. So, it's, it's, I mean, I get the impression from this is not. You know, he's a, he, he's not. It's not atheist. This is actually about religion and the interpretation of God. You know, he is the God of nothing. If that's all that you can see. So I think that I think that's really the theme of this second side, isn't it? It's it's all of the it's 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 what what religion the the bad that religion has done uh, in in terms of you know people's minds and, and and the world in in general. Yeah, he hated the idea that kids were being preached to at a young age and being told to be scared of this and scared of that and fearful of this and fearful of that, you know, or or you know, hell and damnation. And he just said that completely made nonsense of what faith is all about or should be about. And to that end, you know, he was, you know, bitterly disappointed with the whole thing and and uh, articulated it brilliantly in this, um, in, in well, on this side, certainly this track and this side. And he, he never lets up. Yeah, now we're on one of my favourite tracks of, of the album, um, which is Hymn 43. I just, I, I love the arrangement on this. It's interesting. It was apparently the first single off the album. Suffice to say, it didn't soar up the charts. Who knew? <laughs> but it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of blues fueled rocker, isn't it, for a while? And then, um, you know, there's plenty of flute interruptions later on. But it's, um, you're right, it's, it's, the, it's the tempo of this thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a great song. And as I say, it, it, it um, just further confirms that the, the, the second side, you know, side two, Martin Barr's guitar seems to be far more involved in in driving these these tracks on, and um, yeah, it's a rockier side, isn't it? This is a this is a really good rock track. So him forty three, amen to that. And we there's, there's a little interlude which is slipstream where Dee Palmer's strings the right and centre a little soother before locomotive breath, which was the second single off the album, and this is just priceless with the. Piano arrangement at the start. Evans arranging this superb classical into jazz, and then Martin Barr adds some blues guitar over the top. The changes are effortless, absolutely seamless, and then you're into a track 
where Barr is producing the locomotive sound on his guitar. It's just a it's just a brilliant piece of work, and it's still got that kind of bluesy, jazzy feel. Barr uses a scraping style apparently to get the sort of puffing train sound to run through the track. Um, but plenty of switches of styles and genres in this track. The Aussie bit is the opening lyric in the shuffling madness of the locomotive breath. You agree, Mark, don't you? It just sounds, it, it can be war pigs. It's brilliant. It's a million miles away from where the track goes 40 seconds later. How they get from the one to the other is is incredible, astonishing. Well, that was, and it's utterly seamless, isn't it? It's, it's just beautifully constructed, you know. And bear in mind, you know, I mean, I'm sure they've spent, you know, hours writing this stuff, but it just it just felt effortless, didn't it? It just feels like a really slick transition. And then you're just into a powerhouse of a roll track, which is, you know, again, the changes come through the track and always with this train chugging away in the background. Well, this is the track that put them on the map. Yeah, this is, is it? Yeah, this is the track yeah. that kind of made, uh, you know, they were really big within the sort of the prog folk rock um seen this was this was where i think the mainstream started to become aware of them and it's it's not difficult to see why is it uh, when i first read the lyrics to this i assumed it was about a sort of a a, a failing dad basically <laughs> With, uh, you know, with, with, with with his kids having enough of him. You know, he sees his children jumping off at the stations. But apparently it's, it's about overpopulation, I read. Anderson said, it's my first song that was perhaps on a topic that would be a little more appropriate to today, today's world. It was about the runaway train of population growth and capitalism. I th- what I remember of that quote, Richard, is that he will, he almost said it's come to re- represent that kind of thing. He didn't, he didn't initially do it, write it for that purpose, but he just sensed that that's what it's become about and he's absolutely happy to attach himself to that. Just a great song. And again, his, his we've seen it inside too, is, um, is Anderson, the vocalist, getting better and better as the album goes on. Which um, gives way ultimately to the final track on the album, which is Wind Up. Yeah, it's a lovely, um, it's just a lovely sort of two-minute ramble, isn't it? And then it's off, off, into, a, off into a crunching... Rocker. It's got a real. What I thought with this track is it's got a real kind of jamming style to it, and I guess that, uh, as you said, Rich, most of the stuff they did would have been kind of almost as live, and this this track has got a sense of that. So it's quite rough around the edges before it drifts back into a kind of folky finish, which is how you want the how you want the album to to, to sign off. I think I found it a bit meandering. The songs where the storytelling and the instrumentation and everything it all really fits well together. I didn't get that with this. So, Richard, Aqualung, highs and lows. So I think probably that wind-up for me was not as high as the others. In terms of my highs, I think the track that meant the most to me and, and grew the most on me on this list in these last week was Mother Goose. I think I'd echo that. You know, I could be contrarian you know, pick other songs, but, um, I mean, you know, Locomotive Breath and, and the title track, run run it close but i think mother goose is the standout track and yeah i'd agree with you rich i think wind up is is the the not so good track on the album but steve what was your view yeah well i'll i'll, I'll complete the hat trick then on on both fronts um and i have listened to this album an awful lot this week um and mother goose hit me pretty much instantly and it's been an absolute favorite from then on in and i've enjoyed learning about each track as I played it on and on and listened to the little nuances that I wasn't getting first time. And that's also the 
hallmark of a good band. There are things going on that you need to listen to. And boy, when we come to Tool, that's a, definitely a thing you've got to do to uh, to fully appreciate them. Wow. I mean, we're talking levels of complexity. So I've given this a right good go and I love it. And um, I've learned an awful lot about the band um, through this one album. And yes, for me, Mother Goose is the favourite. And um, why not? Weak Link. So there we go. That's it then. Bye-bye to Jethro Tull and Aqualung. Brought you a very, very complimentary review of that. We'll see what that does for it in the Hall of Fame a bit later on. So 21 years later, after um, Aqualung, we move on to, well, a dose of stoner rock for you from a band called Caius. And this is the album's called Blues for the Red Sun. And when Mark picked this, and I was kind of vaguely aware of Caius, I thought, you know, this could end in tears. So, Mark, are they tears of laughter or tears of joy? Opening album sleeve notes. Oh, Lord. Oh, <laughs> Lord, oh, Lord. So I picked this. I had never heard, at least not to my knowledge, any Caius at all, ever. They would have been a band that in the day... 1992 i would have avoided like the plague i think a little bit of a a kind of a a health warning for tool is that i have precious little time for grunge or stoner rock generally and when i picked this i didn't even know it was that i didn't even know that i mean i literally knew nothing about this band and it was with some because I picked it off a list, a bit like you boys did. Picked it out of a list. Thought, well, you know what? It's quite hard finding a uh, finding something that kind of fitted the, the 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 period that we're looking at that we didn't already know really well. So I I kind of looked at a few and gone mm, maybe, and then gone maybe not. So I went for for this, and um, there was a huge amount of trepidation. I mean, you know, sort of relatively speaking, there, there are things that you need to be fearful of in life. Um, listening to a Caius album is probably not one of them. But, you know, um, without over-egging the pudding, I, it was a kind of a, this could be the longest week of my life or I might just have discovered something absolutely brilliant. So I put it on and I thought, first track, I went, oh, I've lucked out here. This is just astonishing. And then... So it went from thumb into green machine, right? And I'm thinking, this has got even better. If this is the opening of the album, this is going to be absolutely brilliant. And uh, and then track three came on, uh, and then track four, and then track five, and then I just, and and I was just left with this overwhelming sense of disappointment and and anti-climax, that a band that had started an album with such ferocious intent should then serve up a smorgasbord of frankly indifferent and not very inspiring music. So that was my first listen, and I was preparing myself for a very long week um, of having to listen over and over to, to an album that really only liked two tracks on. So what I have to say, though, is that as the week has gone on, and you, um, Steve, when you you sent me a a WhatsApp in the week that went, if you like this Queens of the Stone Age, 
you'll enjoy it, but you'll you'll be pining for some quiet riot at the end of it. And I think that's a pretty pretty good summary of where I got to, really, particularly after the first the first track. So a bit about so this was released in nineteen ninety-two. It didn't sell very well. It was critically acclaimed, but it it's I think it shifted thirty-six thousand copies worldwide. So, you know, we're talking about what is barely more than a, an independent album in all sorts of ways. So the band at the time um, were John Garcia, uh, who was lead vocals on all tracks except uh, Mondo Generator. Uh, Josh Hom, I think is how we pronounce it. Could be Homme, but there's no accent over the E. Um, he was also, oh, sorry, uh, uh, Gar- Garcia was also a producer. Uh, Josh Hom was also a producer as well as playing guitars. Nick Oliveri on bass guitar, lead vocals on Mondo Generator. I think that's probably pushing the envelope of how we describe that track. I'm not sure they're vocals. I think there's just somebody making a very strange noise throughout it. But let's go with vocals for the time being. And then Brandt Bjork on drums, uh, also a producer and to differentiate him from the rest of his bandmates, also responsible for album concept. Very important man, Brandt Bjork, although he only wrote two of the tracks on the album. So I'm really interested to know. I mean, I I actually quite like this album. I I was surprised because after playing it for seven or eight times over the week, I've grown to, to actually quite like it. I have more fun listening to this than I did Malmsteen last week. What did you guys think? Well, it's if you let children into a studio, this is what they're going to do. You didn't mention the fact that these boys were seriously, these were kids when they went in there, weren't they? I think Hom was 18 when he wrote it and therefore barely 19 when this thing came out. The best review I heard was, um, or read was, um, I forget which Mac, they called it raw and unorthodox. And I'm guessing that's a compliment because everyone seemed to critically acclaim of it, acclaim it which is rather like the Emperor's New Clothes, as far as I'm concerned. They're just desperate to not be in the loop. So they've got to say good things about an album that sold seven copies or wherever many it sold. Well, it sold 36,000 or something. So, you know, this has taken some warming to. And having played it once and not warmed to it, I just I thought as I played it again, this ain't going to get any warmer. And it didn't. And I, and I fancy now going through this is not going to change. Tool, who we'll come to later, there's so much going on there. You're picking out bits and bobs that it's just a it's, it's a minefield. This is anything but a minefield. This is this is just a car crash, really, in terms of noise. Um, so much distortion. They're a punk band. This is basically a punk band. You can call it, dress it up as what you want. Stoner rock, desert rock, i.e., they play a lot in the desert. I mean, fuck me. It's a it's a post-punk noise and josh holm is a massive punk fan that's where he's got all this inspiration from and all you're getting is four kids having a laugh with jamming once you i agree with you thumb has got a decent riff and i liked it and then everything is just quickly just blur straight after um from then on and i just got tired of it tired of it very quickly so um a ringing endorsement from steve richard yeah, I think I had same similar journey to you, Mark. Strong start. There are some, yeah, some points where I'm thinking why, um, but we'll we'll come to those again. I had to try and put myself in a zone somewhere. Th- these three, all three of these albums, took intense concentration. I'm knackered. 
but it 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 does have its moments. It's been knackering this week, but it's been it has been very enjoyable, and um, I think we should keep doing this uh, because I'm enjoying it expanding my my horizons. It and it forces you to think a different way, which I think is important. So at this point in my listening, as as we start track one, I'm genuinely intrigued by what's going to happen because I'm expecting not to like this album because having done a little bit of a reader, having made the choice and then done a bit of reading and research, I'm I'm kind of sitting there thinking, fuck, this I've I've, I've balls this up for myself. And it starts sort of a bit sort of moody and dark, this, sort of this reverb going on. Um, but then it just breaks into this fabulous track. Um, and as I said, you know, I, I thought, God, if the whole album's like this, a, a bit like, you know, those moments when we've, when we've all listened to an album and thought, why the hell didn't I hear this before? So I, that's where I am at this point with this album. It's not an album, it's not a musical style that, I naturally warm to or naturally feel inclined to, but I get it. And it's a bit kind of bouncy and fun. And it's just such a shame they didn't, didn't carry on for the rest of the album. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's, I mean, heavy, heavy as in a weight form. I mean, it's just weighing you down, isn't it? It's a proper baseline noise. Um, I love that opening lyric. You don't seem to understand the deal. I don't give two shits on how you feel. That's yeah. just such a cracking opening lyric. It just strips apart all the cleverness that rock can offer and just says, right, this is fucking heavy and this is what you're going to get. And at that point, I'm with you and I'm thinking, all right, yeah, if they can carry on this this magnitude, this level of weight, but with degrees of variety from now on forward, I look forward to it, but they maintain the weight, but precious little change. Yeah, not very, not much invention going on. No, no. I like this track. Sorry. This is a good first track. Um, really jumps along. Fantastic riff. Detuned guitars, and I think they were, they were playing them through guitars, through bass amp heads. So yeah, really deliberate. So Thumb kind of moves up on through to um, Green Machine, which sort of gets off to a, a wonky start, and you're thinking, what the fuck is going on with this? So it's almost like they've, they're, it's a bit like the opening to Overdose, actually, and then suddenly it gets going. And, you know, I really like uh, John Garcia's vocals on this, and I think the other thing that I would say about this is that the, the tracks that Bjork is, uh, Brant Bjork is involved in, are stronger than than the rest of the album, so clearly they needed a bit more of him. I think I love that. Um, in my humble opinion, I, I think this riff's even better than Thumb. Honestly, do I mean I just think it's it's bollock igniting heavy again, and it's um, no sophistication whatsoever, no pretense of sophistication whatsoever. But it thunders along. It's and and at this stage, I, again, I'm I'm doubly happy. I, I've now follow a belting track one with a belting track two yeah and a, a song about corporate greed great you know very much of its time and probably as you know is relevant now actually yeah track of the album for me i think this is this is great really just just drives along fantastic riff 
really good track. So uh, there are a few quite short tracks on this album as well, and and this is the point at which I I, I was left underwhelmed quite badly. Th- th- this is like they they just kind of pulled all of their pot, stuck it in a big bowl in the middle of the studio, and inhaled deeply, and then just picked up instruments. And what we get is nothing, nothing of note, nothing memorable, nothing significant. And they've just come off the back of two absolutely tearing tracks. And and now they're just, just, I know, and you and, and you and you listen hard, don't you? And you listen the first time around, you just to get the sense of what it's about, and you try again, and then you start listening for things that you think are there, and there isn't, is there? It's just so. So where there's the only thing that changes is a different effects pedal, or a bit more or less distortion. And um, you know, reading a lot of the reading a lot of the forums, there's an awful lot of Sabbath references to people from people who are probably too young to remember Sabbath, and just because something's heavy it doesn't necessarily mean it's as it's anything like black sabbath would have done so this is track four is a 50 million year trip downside up i have absolutely no fucking idea what that means but again i it kind of jumps along i, I don't i actually don't mind it. it puts me in mind of something i've not been able this week to put my finger on what it is but I know what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean. That 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 this 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 main guitar riff, the sort of the bubbly, yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, it's all right. I, I've not, I've not my. It's, it's grown on me. Problem is, we know, we we know where we are now. We're we're four tracks in, and nothing's changed really. And so we kind of know what's coming. You're kind of girding your loins for for more of the same for you know quite a few more minutes you know i'm actually i'm actually quite bored now and we're only four tracks into this bugger so i'm waiting i'm waiting for you know what i'm waiting for just a little bit of melody or something or um just a little bit of refinement i mean clearly i mean rich and you make the point about josh Holmes' songwriting skills this wasn't about that was it this was just about him just just shooting his load in the studio for the first time give or take and saying this is my version of you know post-punk desert stoner rock call it what you want um and it's just going to be loud and we're going to have an absolute blast and therefore i should be getting into that mindset and accepting it and i kind of do but you know i don't really want much more of it well you don't really though do you you don't really accept it that's the thing i think you're absolutely right and i think that's that's where i got to the first listen was by this time i'm thinking right so this is it then and i uh, but there was always that kind of that hope dies last thing that they're going to pull it out of the bag for what once upon a time would have been side two but but there is this sort of sense of impending tedium ahead tedium in the sense of you're not going to be surprised like i say i don't mind the music it's all right but it's it's not going to I'm not going to put it on a playlist, and not these tracks. The first two I might put on a playlist, but these, not the rest of them. Would you have a view on this track? Or yeah, I gave this a reasonable score, and I think it's got some really good elements of it. I mean, there's like a more melodic bit uh, now, and uh, if they'd actually kept some of these, you know, melodic bits to produce some variety in the whole songs, it would have actually constructed a, you know, that they'd have constructed a much, a much better 
album. I mean, who 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 produces? Because obviously, obviously, all of them are we with um, this guy Chris Goss. I feel I don't know. Maybe they did achieve exactly what they wanted to uh, from this album. But had they worked with a better producer, I think it could have been lifted up several levels more. Because there's some good ideas in here. I think it's about then how are those how those ideas are taken and and turned into songs. I mean, I think you know, so this is perfectly. This is a good song. It's one one of the the better ones. I think this this album really does tail off uh, after after this. I, I think the big problem for this band is everything that Steve has said. I think when you when you've got a name that nobody knows how to pronounce, I think that becomes you know in, in marketing terms you go well there's a you know there's your problem right there boys i'm not entirely i can't remember which which um label released this dally label it was an indie wasn't it an independent label dally label right so whoever made the decision to fund it should have added a bit of money to the pot and sent them into the studio with a producer who knew what he was doing so i i think you know Broadly speaking, um, I'm left with an album that I really like in a couple of places, really dislike in quite a few places or a a few places, particularly the 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 wanky fucking yeah uh, track at the end of four seconds, and then the rest of it is all right. And I just don't think rock music should be all right. I think you should have a a reaction to it. I think it should make you respond in a positive way, either in terms of not liking it or really liking it. But anything in the middle, you've kind of missed the point. So, should we do highs and lows? What else can we say? Look, I, I think we should. I think a lot of this album is putting yourself in that, in the mind and the place of the people and the, and the kids at the time. I, I can understand why. A lot of kids would have got into this. You know, imagine here, here, hearing this thumping, you know, full volume in in some you know, rock club somewhere, um, and everyone here sweaty and <laughs> sort of stoning around. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, because what was going on at the time? I mean, the, the, what the metal world was ruled by likes of Metallica, wasn't it? Really. You know, hair, hair metal had had been and gone. We had that difficult end. We were past that difficult end of the eighties when there wasn't much like we reviewed last week. You know, I can imagine that quite a lot of kids were were searching for a something, a something else to to really lock into. And I think I mean, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute with Tool as well, because I think you know that they that they, they produce something. I I, I think quite unique but more of that in a in a bit so i don't know it, it's yeah it okay could have been better but i understand what they were trying to do in making it and i understand why a lot of people you know would were really really hooked into it and we're, we're listening now to um apothecary's weight again i mean it doesn't really go anywhere for me again that detuned guitar the bass that really heavy slow riff but then over the top you know really good Good guitar solo, so, but I've got, I've got to pick you up on on. I understand why the kids liked it at the time. So if it, let let's take that from out because I understand what you're saying, 
and and I've tried very hard this week to, with both tool and this to go. Okay, let me try and put myself back in 1992, bearing in mind that in 1992 I was 27 years old, um, and you know I probably wasn't the target market for this or for tool. Yeah, I understand why the kids of 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 1992 lapped stuff like this up. I get it completely, but I don't think that excuses it in terms of its the legacy it leaves and the and the regard in which it should be held. Twenty. That, that, you know, yeah, that's a very so, that's a very fair point in terms of it's over over. You could still have produced an album that they could have locked into that would have been of a higher quality. Yeah, yeah. Because because if you if you if you project that rationale back and you say well, and you go back to say nineteen seventy four, okay, just randomly because that's where I live. <laughs> yeah, you go back to nineteen seventy four and you go okay, well actually the kids were, you know, they were fed up with the sort of uh, flower power and the kind of very twee musical kind of um, guys and dolls, new seekers of the turn of the 60s and 70s and what they really wanted was mud and the sweet and gary glitter and and the glitter band and the rubettes and the bay city rollers now all of those bands were relevant in their time and i understand completely why you know the bay city rollers became you know the, the kind of the beatles of the 70s get it did they release an album that i would say critically and musically, artistically, is relevant and uh, stands the test of time as a piece of music. I get that it stands the test of time culturally in the same way that this does to an extent. Does it deserve to be in the top 100 at the end of this process? I'd argue not. Yeah, but a lot of that, of course, is because you're you're judging it musically, which, you know, you have to really, don't you? I mean, you've got to like it as a piece of music. And, um, you know, there are three of us in this marriage but I mean, any any self-respecting kid has always, you know, the, the the origins of heavy metal is something that you know you you liked it because your parents didn't, and I and I and that's just evolved year on year. That people bought Led Zeppelin one for that very reason, and and through time and time and time it's gone on. And um, you know, I remember buying you know the first Wasp album. I remember buying Animal Fuck Like a Beast, the single, and I took great pleasure in showing the album and showing the single cover to my parents. And of course, knowing full well they'd be horrified. That was my role. That was my right. And um, and so the kids who liked this, and it's coming out of the grunge era where everyone was looking at their shoes and feeling sorry for themselves, thinking the world was shit and how much they hated themselves as well as everyone else, and they just wanted to go out and get stoned and just make a noise. And that's where this comes in. But it doesn't alter the fact that you can do it better than this. You can do it with sophistication. And I try to compare this to the one well, I, I don't listen to any stoner rock particularly, so I compare it to the one I do listen to and I love to bits, and that's Monster Magnet, and I'm trying to hold tracks up against them. And I look at Apothecary's Weights, for example, which you know has a little bit of melody, and I did the hammock test and stuck it in there, sat in the hammock with a couple of really great Monster Magnet tracks, drifting, brawling, beautiful Monster Magnet tracks, Queen of You, you'll know them, Richard, Queen of You, Osium and Cry, and... Um, it's absolutely no comparison. What Monster Magnet were doing and, and showed what was capable of was on a different level to this. So yes, this has a place, and as you and as you say, Mark, this will has been acknowledged as a as a critically acclaimed 
piece of, you know, cult glory by the fans who were there at the time in the desert listening to this, one of the very few who bought the bloody thing. And the critics, of course, lapped it up because that's what they feel compelled to do, even though many of them, I guess, they didn't understand it. So we move on. And ultimately, the bottom line is, yeah, I'm now 55 and have this doesn't mean much to me. But, you know, do, do Kiss in their most bombastic, pompous, ludicrous, worst mean much to me now at the 50, age of 55? Well, they shouldn't, but they do. So therefore, it, it can there's no reason why I shouldn't like this. The, only, the reason I don't like this is because it's shit. I think one one highlight uh, for me of the the second half of the album is uh, the 10th track, Writhe. Um, again, there's some melody there. It's a lot lighter. Uh, there's some spaces in it. You have to pick it out because it's, it, it's lost amongst some not-so-good stuff. On uh, on side two, but I think I'd, I'd pick out Writhe as a another one that it is um, yeah a, a good track. Almost feel start to feel the first signs of Queens of the Stone Age when I listen to Writhe. But in, interestingly, it's followed, but what it's followed by is is a kind of neither here nor there in terms of length. It's capsized, which is a really nice piece of music. It's almost like they're taking the piss, you know. We, this is what this is what we can do for a few seconds, and it's as if to say, yeah, you don't really want that, do you? And um, and then they're off into Alan's wrench, um, which is unpretentious punk, nothing more, nothing less. And, and uh, well, let, let's and then to finish the album's thirteenth uh, track is uh, is as we mentioned before, Mondo Generator. <laughs> there are lyrics. Have you read? I mean, the the uh, the lyrics are are actually you know. Quite interesting to read. Shame to hear them then. I, 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 I couldn't actually pick any of them out. What's the point? What is the point? I feel really conflicted because because I don't mind it. But I think I should feel more than I don't mind it. Mm. Right, let, let, let's put these boys out of their misery. What lowlights first? My lowlight. I don't. I'm not overly. I don't get Mondo Generator, so, you know. See you later. It's into the bin. And um, my favourite was uh, Green Machine. Yeah, second that. Yeah, well, we've got another hat trick, boys. Okay, so I think the end of term report for Caius Blues for the Red Sun is could have done much, much better. But with the departure into the headmaster's study of Caius, uh, we are followed into the classroom for the 1993 release, full debut release of Tool's Undertow. Opening album sleeve notes. I, like you with Caius, put this on uh, and thought, ooh, and unlike uh, Caius, I've continued to go, ooh. Yeah, for, I mean, as we said, the, 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 the theme for this whole, <laughs> these, this trio of albums is, is, is us really having to concentrate hard and actually with this tool album i want to continue concentrating i think it's going to take some you know further work to get into it but you know me with the kind of music that that, that i like I, I i do like that the complexity and boy oh boy has has this got it what were your first impressions well, I was, I was, a, I was a little bit more aware than Mark probably because I'd said to you, Rich, didn't I? I said to you immediately that 
I was aware of when, when I first got Sky and MTV and Kerrang TV in the late nineties. Um, one of the tracks that absolutely biffed me between the eyes from the off was um, Schism mm. off um, off their third album. I presume you know it, and it's um, it's one of those. It's yeah, the track is awesome. But it's one of those really unsettling videos that you just can't really watch that much. It's really, really close to the knuckle, and it's it's brilliant. But tune, it's a, it's an absolute banger. And um, Lateralis, the album is off. It's also a banger. Very different to Undertow. It's they seem to take an awful long time between albums, and it's only when you hear the albums you appreciate why. Because these aren't written overnight, are they, Rich? No. These are these are these are not simple tracks. So that was my introduction to Tool. So I never I never went back to Undertow, and um, and when I did, I was kind of expecting a, a prequel to to what I'd heard, and I didn't get it. And I've got quite mixed. I really like it in in patches. I find it very difficult to quite get my head around in others. It's hugely layered, incredibly complex, brilliant musicianship. And the first thing I said was, I bet they are. I bet they are awesome live. And I still, I still don't quite know how much I like it because, and my problem, and we'll come to it, is that is is Maynard James Keenan's voice, and it's just that kind of. It's just off the grunge conveyor belt, and I don't like anyone who sounds like everyone else who performs with Soundgarden or Nirvana or Pearl Jam or Alice in Chains. It's almost of a type, and I'm probably doing him a disservice. Maybe he's better. I don't know. That's, that brings it down for me, but musically, I love it. Um, I don't understand this album, which is not – I don't think it's – it's not I think it's bad or – even good or anything in the middle it's i don't understand it i don't i don't i'm not the target market for it so i'm at a slight disadvantage chaps because i actually don't like alice in chains or pearl jam or nirvana or soundgarden actively don't like them and i can absolutely see why this interests you richard because i know you do yeah, I know you love Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam. M- my feeling is, I-, I don't. I'm a busy man. I don't have the time to unpick the layers of this. I want, I, I want a McDonald's experience, um, which says more about me than it does about the band, because actually they're musicians. This is their job. This is their art, and I completely get that. Completely get it. And I'm not denigrating. Well, I'm going to denigrate. I'm going to denigrate the last track because, frankly, I have, you know, 15 minutes of completing us a fucking wank. I don't even get through it. I just went, no, this is not right. This is not right that you're wasting my time with this shit. But that track aside, which is my low point, and you may have guessed, that track aside, I get bits of it, and there are bits of it that I, I think are quite interesting and I quite like, but I think I'm quite shallow. I think I'm 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 not looking for that amount of depth in the music that I listen to. So therefore, I find this really hard work. The irony being that you had the shallowness with Caius and didn't like that either. I didn't mind that. <laughs> that that I was ambivalent about. I I, I was ambivalent about Caius. I'm not ambivalent about Tool. I just don't know what to feel about it because I don't really understand it. So it's it's not that I don't like it. 
I think what I'm saying is I don't want to have to work that hard to enjoy something. <laughs> yeah, I get that. It is super complex. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Richard unpicks it because I've given it three or four listens now. And yeah, it, it's it's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge for anyone, this. I mean, yeah. 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 Seriously, it's a challenge, yeah. No, well, it comes back to my point around we should have given ourselves two weeks for this one because I've now I've probably listened to this probably six or seven times. I've done each album equally, and it, it every listen I'm continuing to think, oh, okay, it, it's it's hard. It is hard work. I think it's it is actually quite progressive metal. Why am I liking it? I'm liking it because it's it's got. Sort of the some of the complexity and the, the layers of of your of, of your I don't know your dream theatres or your your rushes, but with a with a power of Metallica, that that's actually why I'm interested in persevering with with this album. Hmm, I don't see. I, I I'm not getting the power of Metallica bit, if I'm being honest. And like I said, I'm probably not qualified to to judge it. I hear a lot of Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam in it. And I think that you're right, Steve. That comes down to the vocals, um, and that feels like it's it's kind of renter grunge um, a bit. I think musically, it probably is very interesting. I I, I considered going and, and listening to their most recent album and thinking to try and kind of work out what that journey had been, uh, and 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 event and I didn't, and I didn't because because I didn't have because <laughs> I didn't didn't have time to not understand that one either. So, <laughs> but uh, Crumbs, I, it's ta- you know how long it took me to kind of come round to to Rush. And, you know, I, I'm going to go back to it. Um, there's still one Rush album that you can play. Uh, uh, and I'm going to, it's going to be interesting when we get to 2112 because, and you've said to me, you should listen to side two. I haven't done that yet. I'm going to wait until it actually comes up yeah. on the podcast to do it. But, um, but it, it took me ages to to kind of get to a point where I could appreciate the musicality, the, the musical, technical musical excellence of that band. So I've had a week with this, and you know, frankly, give me the bubblegum of Motley Crue or Rats or Wasp any day of the week, because I understand it. Uh, it's it's instantly disposable. It's it's like a sugar rush, isn't it? It's like eating a Mars bar. Now, listening to, to Wasp, you kind of go, yeah, that's it. I'm good now. Thanks very much. And you get on with life. With this, you're going, oh, right, okay. Is that, what What's happening? What's that? What are the lyrics? I don't – I found it really difficult to hear any lyrics in this as well, actually, I have to say. Um, you have to really, really, really listen to it. There are some bits of it. There's Like Sober, I think, is a great track. Really enjoyed it. And there's some stuff that's just too hard. I've done it once in terms of listening to it with the lyrics in front of me, like for Jethro Tup. Uh, and there are some very interesting l- lyrics throughout this album. Again, yeah, it's all part of, are you, pre- are you prepared to put the time in? It was their first full album recorded throughout the uh, sort of second half of the last quarter of 1992 and then uh, released um, April of, of 93. The personnel, um, so Maynard James Keenan on vocals, Adam Jones on guitar and sitar, Paul Damore on bass guitar and Danny Carey on drums. Yeah, so, I mean, it, 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 
was critically acclaimed, um, but has sold a few, just a, a couple more copies than uh, than Kios's uh, full debut. Um, so a, a few million <laughs> to uh, a few tens of, of thousands, critically uh, acclaimed as, as a, in terms of a, its debut. So some similarities in in terms of starting with some of the stuff on Kios, isn't it? I don't know whether it was of that time that you uh, you started off with some weird sounds and very quiet, and then uh, suddenly everything belts in. So we start with Intolerance as uh, track one. What are your thoughts on this in terms of the first impressions of this album? I do like a bass player. I love that bass line pumping through this. I noticed he was he's called Paul Demore, and he, he, he doesn't survive beyond this album, does he, Rich? No. But, uh, I originally thought he was something to do with Dogs Demore, but if you know Dogs Demore, he clearly has nothing to do with them at all. But um, he can play the bass, um, and it's the bedrock of this track. Uh, at this point, I'm thinking this is going to be really good. This is going to be a really good album. So what was your first impression, Mark? Uh, I thought I was listening to Paul Jam. I mean, I, it just sounded to me like it was just, for me... I get nothing out of this. That that's the problem. I think that in fact that's it. I get nothing out of this. I don't I don't feel anything about it. It it, it washes over me and it's gone. Uh, and as I say, I think that says more about me than it does about about the band and the music. Mm. Thinks about my taste. I just, it's just not my thing. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? I love this this style of, in terms of the the yeah, obviously quite complex rhythms, the bass and guitar, the drums working together. I, I was really pleased when uh, I uh, put this on, and this was the this was the first track. You WhatsApped us and said, "How have I missed this band?" So because I hadn't listened to it at the point that you sent that, and when I listened, when I heard this track, when I started playing the album, uh, my immediate reaction was, "I completely get why why you were taken with this." this track i think it's i think it's brilliant I, I i go back to the point i mean I, i'm with you mark i'm not a big grunge or post grunge fan at all i'm just not earnest enough for that and nirvana will get into this hall of fame never mind over my dead body yeah but I, I do like um say pearl jams 10 for example and i can hear similarities massively and it's the vocals such a lot of better in that i love tracks like you know alive and even flow and and black that's a standalone band and i get that and that's why i like standalone tracks that work and this works for me i think it's a really really good brilliant opener and i get that and with 10 pearl jams 10 there are tracks on that even flow and alive love them really do it's not i hate all all the product that these bands come up with it's that as a whole it's not for me Mm. it's not for me like i said i don't want to have to work this hard I actually think this is one of the simpler ones. Yes, and that's the problem. Moving on to, to track two, prison sex. I mean, they, not only you know, are there some you know, some some quite dark music, some also quite dark themes on on this album. And as I understand it, this isn't about um, sex in prison, but actually putting your sexual abuse that you had as a child in your own little prison. Cheery stuff, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve mentioned earlier the uh, the the video. I think to to schism. Um, I, I read about the stop motion animation video that went with this, which is yeah, sort of, yeah, black and white stop stop motion wooden and metal puppets, a, a really stripped back Tim Burton film inspired nightmare. Which is bizarre. No nudity, no violence. And it's banned on MTV. That shows how dark it must have been. I've not seen it, but it must bloody hell. It must have. Um, it must have had some other themes running through it. 
not a bad second track, not as strong for me as the as the opener. So track three is Sober. And this is one of highlights for me. Really, really like this song. I think the bass riff on it, the, the guitar over the top, pretty angry lyrics uh, to it. So, yeah, fairly angry. I really like this. Again, it's a bit lighter, but I think it's, it, it's got some light and dark in it. It's got a lovely, lovely hook to it, isn't there? It's yeah. flowing through. And what's interesting about it is, um, yeah, it had been written apparently quite a few years before, almost before they kind of, I'm not being disdainful when I say vanished up their own asses, but, be, but while they were, you know, it was written in about 1987, I think, and for, for some other band or a band that they'd previously been with. And I think you can see the mark of something that's just less complicated about it. It's just a good rock track. This is my favourite track on the album. And I tell you, you're going to laugh, but I think the reason I like it is that done a different way, this could be a Marillion track. It's interesting you say that. I I, I thought there were echoes of Queensryche in here, more progressive. It's interesting, Mark, you saying that, because if you, if you, you must have listened to Fish's 13th Star album, for example. If, if you take out the... the guitars because this is progressive and script for a jester's tear was a prog album and done with the kind of the the, the very kind of light marillion touch i could i could see marillion covering this and doing a really nice job of it actually and i really like this track i think it's because it's got more melody in it maybe right rich i'll play devil's advocate here this is too long discuss <laughs> Yeah, by about seven minutes and 13 seconds, I <laughs> I think it's also worth saying that this album was is growing on me. And I think you're right, Richard. We needed longer with these albums because I think I would have, I would have got there with this eventually, forced to listen. I don't mean that glibly. I mean, under these conditions where we have to listen, I would have got there. Mm. Would I choose to do that with every album that I might encounter no i wouldn't i'd only do it for this but i would have got there i think it is interesting isn't it how 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 much time you are prepared to to give something and and invest in it uh i actually really like this track is it too long i don't think it is i enjoy the structure of it it has to be a song that you just sit down and put it on and you have no distraction and just get completely into it and inside it. Sitting there with this one, not out of speakers, but on headphones and eyes shut. Yeah, because I, I, echo, I echo what you said about the structure of it up to a point. I love that opening riff, and I love that scratching guitar sound, and I love that they repeat that, and that's lovely. And so I'm, I'm two minutes into it, and now, we, now we're going places. And this is a problem with Tool, or certainly a problem with this album, is that... Yeah, you know, when they get a good riff and they just you're thinking, well, this would make a cracking three and a half minute track. You know, the, the the nuts and bolts are there, but they just go off on different places and the layers come in, the complexity comes in, and it's all admirable stuff. But when it doesn't work, and sometimes it doesn't, and it just kind of just it just gets under your skin a bit, and you just and you you you, you go back to how this track started, and you think, God, this could have been great. That's my view. Yeah, I think I think there are there are some places where they miss. Uh, on this album i don't think this one is i i really like the the way it starts the quiet piece in the middle and then and then it just builds and builds and builds a fantastic crescendo at the end i, I think it's a 
really well-structured track. I think they were quite bold. I think I got the impression from what I read that they they went into the studio with a very clear idea of what they wanted to do. She said a lot of the songs have been written for a long time. So some people tried to persuade them to go down particular routes and, and structure songs in different ways, and they said, nope, nope, this is what we, we want to do. I'm pleased they did that in terms of this as a representation of, of what they wanted to do. I think a lot of these tracks are are too long. And and maybe that's because they need the time to, to kind of layer it and structure it and and kind of nurture it into whatever fully formed shape they have in their minds. But I just think this is this is a song that doesn't deserve to be five and a half minutes long. I think that's fair enough. That that said, I, I like this song. Yeah, me too. I've worn to um I like uh Keenan's vocalising in this as well. There's a real sort of nastiness about it. He's kind of spitting those lyrics out. Hey? There's a real sort of venom to it. I, I don't know what the song's about. I dare say you do, Rich. It's um, I, I, it just it's again it is frustrating. The so that they pick you up, punch you in the face, and then just let you back down again, and you don't know whether you're going to get picked up again. And it's that kind of stop-start thing that is quite hard to get used to and again it goes back to the point you boys are making about you know over you'd need to keep listening to it wouldn't you to 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 work out to work out how it does evolve organically whatever that means any song that's got the line belligerent fucker in it is uh, you know worth worth a listen isn't it i mean what's it about i think uh, he's obviously annoyed with somebody my warning meant nothing you're dancing in quicksand i hope it sucks you down obviously someone's annoyed him he's he's a little curmudgeonly isn't he (laughs) <laughs> see i'm getting some hetfield now in his delivery of this and that's good and you know i'd rather have that than you know cobain or vedder it's much better i can't wait to do never mind when we're going to do never mind <laughs> um, right at the end <laughs> so the title track undertow um for a title track i found this a bit underwhelming yeah not a bad track they've gone back into derivative mode haven't they 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 now they're now a sound alike band again, mm. and actually in listening to it this evening with you two, what I've realised is that the the songs I I actually quite like are where they are not where they don't sound as though they've just walked off the grunge production line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I quite like this. I think it's I think it's interesting. I I, I tell you what, the, the, the one note I did make, I said if I said if Dio was singing this, you'd be looking at an epic. Across the across the board here, I'm thinking of better vocalists who could improve on all this, and I, and I do like Dio. Whatever I say, yeah, I think it's all right. This, I think it's quite a nice track. But Dio couldn't sing this, could he? Because there are there's no wizards, no castles, no witches, no dragons. He'd no, put him in. He'd find he'd a way. Lost. He'd be lost. Yeah. So you're now listening to uh, to Four Degrees, and uh, I've just realised where the sitar comes in. Adam Jones plays. There we go. It starts the track. It's another monster, though, isn't it? Six minutes. Mm. Monster in a long way rather than a good way, is, is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, short by comparison to the last track. The meaning in it, it sneers, sneers along. This is a good, a good example of a track that I've given it a score, but I'm listening to it again now and thinking, hmm, I need to listen, give this another listen and another one. Every time I'm listening to this album, I'm hearing and picking out a different thing. It's one of the most intriguing albums I've listened to in a long time. So moving on to Flood, a bit like 
us talking about Kios on, on the, the last album review. This is another one of those 45 played at 33. Yeah, very, very slow and heavy. This is where Sabbath come to the party. There's a, there's a real Sabbath-esque feel to this whole intro, I think. I think I think you probably need to be at the mercy of any number of illegal substances to uh, to come close to even beginning to understand the first few minutes of this song. <laughs> I mean, it's weird, and and that's the point for me. It's you know taking a lot of time to understand the first few minutes, not all of it, the first few minutes, and that and that's that's the, that is my problem with this album is that. It's too long. It's too complicated. There's a lot going on, but it's not interesting enough to make me want to invest that time. And there are bits of every song that I like. There are bits of every song that I really like. And there, and in every song, there's a moment where I go, oh, why couldn't you have just done more of that? And if you've done more of that, I'd really like this album. And, and as a band, they'll be sitting, probably not listening to this, but if they were listening to this, they'd be going, but that wasn't the point of the album. And I get that. Well, let's come on to, as well as talking about Flood, we can then come to, finally, to the last track, Disgustipated. I've really, really enjoyed listening to this whole album. Flood, I do find a bit, I do find it dirgy. And then I don't understand Disgustipated at all. I mean, it for me, this, this album, in those first eight tracks, that'll do, thanks very much. Uh, even I am struggling to get into into Flood. And uh, what I don't know what they were thinking. We discussed debated. I mean, it, it, it unfortunately with our the scoring system, uh, you know, these last two tracks, I think, are gonna, even with my scores, are going to drag this album down. Well, so, I, I was going to suggest quite seriously, you know, we should probably not score discussed debated because I've given it a zero because it's not a song. I fucking hate it. Absolutely hate it. I couldn't hate anything more than I hate that track. I'm trying to think of comparable tracks on albums that are like this that you therefore don't think are part of the album. I'm struggling to think. This is oh, I think it's part of the album. I just fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just. I, I think you had, you you have to mark it, don't you? Because you you you'd do the album a discredit if you didn't. Just part yeah. of it. So. Yeah, I, th- I think we we have to because otherwise we'd be we uh, uh, any other. A whole load of other exceptions would have sneak in. Uh, yeah, but I don't want to be the bloke that drags it down. Well, because I don't, think, I don't think any of us are going to give it. Um, no, you're not going to be my a high score. Let, let's see what it does to the score. It's a real shame that an album that gave us an awful lot, a, a tricky album to understand, but with so much good stuff on it, and it's a real shame that it's just uh, the, the sign-off is such a colossal disappointment. I mean, they understand the point of it. I don't, and it's, I don't like it. And it leaves, it leaves a sour taste. Yeah, because, you know, for, for all of my ignorance, this is routinely scored somewhere, between, for me, somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half. So it's an above, you know, it, I've scored it as an above average album because I quite like, quite a lot of it i just don't understand more of it but but yeah disgustipated and flood just yeah i don't know I mean, i'm just i'm just skipping through disgustipated now i mean it, it's it's not it's not a track it's not it's not no. it's not musical it's just it's just a band that's being too bloody clever for their own good i don't know if it's just some and is it some kind of outro uh, i don't know 
I don't, I don't know what we do about it. I read, I think, that um, strictly speaking, this is listed as something like a 75-track album. So every two minutes of si- or two seconds of silence at the end of Disgustipated or something is counted as a track. So on the master tape, it's got... I, I, I can't remember the precise number, but on the master tape, it's, it's listed as having 75 tracks. <laughs> and at that point you know i'm just sitting there thinking oh fuck off they're trying too hard we're all agreed on disgustipated being our low point if it if it is back at all apart from that low points and high points so for me the the low point was flood apart from disgustipated if we're excluding that it was flood and my high point was sober disgustipated obviously as it stands is the shittiest track on here by some considerable distance um, and I like Swamp Song Festival. Yeah, for me, Flood. Apart from this disgustipated, Flood is is uh, um, the the low point. And I am with. I think that's Mark and I agreeing on all three tracks. Is it tonight? Uh, all three. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so sober is my high point. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. Okay, so that's all three albums done and dusted. A very different collection of albums this week very different indeed to anything we've done before and i suggest anything that we're likely to do again in the very near future so it's time to uh, just go through the scores and the scores that these albums have been given the average score so what we do is we score every track each of us scores every track from each album and we then find an average score for the album for each of us and then divide the total of those three scores by three to give the album an overall average score. Um, So kicking off with Aqualung, which uh, was Steve's choice tonight, I think I'm slightly surprised. Steve, you gave it a 7.3 recurring. I gave it a 7.63 recurring. Um, Richard, you gave it um, a 7.17, I suppose, if we're rounding up, to give the album as a whole an average score of 7.37778. And I'm quite surprised because actually I I was sort of expecting I would score it the highest of the three of us. actually expected you, Richard, to score it second highest and Steve to maybe, um, even given his... Um, early Genesis pedigree to struggle a bit with it, but it's actually the, the reverse. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it, it's the score it is. I thought I'd, I, I thought my my ultimate score would come out higher than that, but um, given that I've given a nine point five and an eight point five, and and um, but where it where the album does drift away, it's scored accordingly, brings it down, and it's um, yeah, let's be honest, seven point three. If if five out of ten is average, then. 7.3 is a good score, isn't it? So, so okay, 7.37778 is the score that Jethro Tull take into the Hall of Fame. We're a little away yet from um, from asking the question of whether they've actually made it because uh, with 30 albums in, they're all going in at the moment. The question will be which of them drop off over the period of weeks that lie ahead. But let's, um, let's go on. So... Um, Caius wasn't a good day for the boys, was it? I don't think there's much debate about this one not making the Hall of Fame, is there? No, no I don't think there is. Well, Rich liked it best of all with six point four five. 
Um, and then it's you and I, and you gave it six point, and that's chuff over six, six point oh one, and I gave it just a fraction under six at five point nine for a grand total, if indeed grand is the right word, of six point one two seven two seven, and um, I think we, I think we know that's bottom of the league, don't we? Yep, we don't we don't have to open the gilded doors to uh, to work that out because we know what we know that Ingve um, scored a six point one four last week. So yeah, we know what's bottom and no surprises really. So Richard, do you want to talk through the scores that we gave to Tool? So the scores were from Steve a six point oh five, uh, from Mark a five point nine three. And um, I gave it a 6.95, but um, there was a lot of debate on whether we should or not score uh, that final, whatever, the the final time-consuming thing at the end of the the album in Discuss Debated. I don't think it's a track at all. But anyway, the the scores are the scores, and all of those average out at an overall 6.31 for Undertow by Tool. So they are. We know what the scores are. We know where one of these albums is placed, but I think it's time to find out where they sit in the all-important table. It's time to put The Rock in a hard place, opening the Hall of Fame. So to the Hall of Fame, and perhaps unsurprisingly, the top 10 remains unaltered after episode 10. Um, and indeed, the top 20 remains unaltered after episode 10. And the reason being, of course, that, you know, these weren't necessarily our choices. Well, they were, but they, they weren't albums we knew. And that was the point. Um, and they're scored accordingly. So Aqualung did best. Jethro Tull's Aqualung did best of the three and are slotted in in 21st place on uh, 7.3 in an absolute logjam. <laughs> around that sort of 7.2345 mark. Um, that's just minuscule, the margins between all that lot. And my hands are in the air because Vixen are out at the bottom three, courtesy of Tall and doomed by Disgustipated. They find themselves at 20, in 28. I haven't done the maths. I'd love to know where they would have been um, had we not included that track. But we do, and we have to because it's on the album. They put it there. They can live and die by it. So they're in 28th, and then, as we say, at the bottom, Blues for the Red Sun by Kyus, who have uh, eclipsed Odyssey, if it's if that's the right word, for uh, Ingwie Malmsteen's Rising Force, who are now up to the dizzy heights of 29th on the back of that. Yeah, and that all feels about right to me. I mean, I think, Richard, you probably... I, I suspect you feel Tool deserves to be above Vixen and probably above Paranoid. Um, <laughs> where, uh, and the way you scored it, in fact, originally, I think... Yeah, that is where it would have taken it. Yeah, you know, up to twenty six, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think again, I'm, 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 I continue to be happy with the you know, the scores I'm giving in respect to what I've given other albums and other tracks. The whole point of this is we know we've got differing tastes between us. You've scored those albums and tracks how you feel. Um, so yeah, I think that. that the table looks fine to me. Cool. All right. Well, then, let's um, let's close the doors on the Hall of Fame for another week, um, which brings us on to the thorny issue of which three slices of rock and metal are we going to be listening to next week? Steve. 
Yeah, so episode 10, blinding. Before we do, just two takeaways from this episode. One, you need to listen to an album more than once. I think that's self-evident. Two, if you're going to put a pile of toss like disgustipated on an album, prepare to be punished. None of this will happen next week because we're going back in time. Well, even further than usual. We're going back to 1980 because I have discovered, and I'm sure many of you know that it was 40 years ago, that the term new wave of British heavy metal was coined by a sounds journalist who went to an out, who went to a concert to see Samson, Angel Witch and Iron Maiden perform um, and thought this was the biggest thing that's happened to British rock in many a long year. And so to mark, not quite the occasion, but to mark that period and the 40th anniversary thereof, we're going to pick three albums, three British rock albums from the year 1980. Uh, and it was a vintage year. It was a brilliant year. So all the big guns were out. We had Def Leppard and Tigers of Pantang and UFO and Motorhead and loads of really, really good albums. We shall pick three of those and uh, we shall delight in reviewing them. And uh, should be a good episode, boys, shouldn't it? Oh, I can't wait now. Yep. Yep. Back in my wheelhouse. It, it's good. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to picking something I really know. So we're looking forward to it and um, and we're looking forward to your company. Until then. Mm-hmm.